Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, Sheila Zielinski. Hey everyone, and welcome to the program today. This is the Thursday, June 9th edition of the Sheila Zielinski Show. I broadcast weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on W-I-N-B. And for other ways to listen, go to weekendvigilante.com and just click on the listen tab on the menu for more great ways to listen, including a customized app. That's the Weekend Vigilante app for those of you on the go and also the podcast and sign up for my social media. My social media icons are at the top right on my website. Tomorrow on the program, I have one of my Friday favorites. It's kind of a news with you show, and it is always my pleasure to have on the smartest man on the planet in my books. We're going to break down breaking news. We're going to talk about why Lindsey Graham attended Bilderberg in Germany. And also, we're going to talk about the Logan Act, which there's a lot of violation of that going on. We're also going to talk about the plan to gatekeep the internet. Is the internet getting shut down soon? Even Matt Drudge is warning about an internet takeover in a brand new video. There's a lot of stuff going on out there. So we're going to get into that and so much more. That's tomorrow. So you are going to want to tune into that for sure. I always really enjoy those Friday news with views. I try to have it once a month with Dr. Timothy Ball, because he's not just a highly acclaimed, world-renowned speaker, lecturer, author, and just one of my favorite people. He's really been a mentor to me, but he knows everything geopolitically about everything. The man is a walking encyclopedia, I'm telling you. And his history, that's the cool thing, is he he knows so much about history. You know, it, it's stunning. He was actually one of the men instrumental in exposing Climate Gate. You know how James Dellingpole dubbed it as Climate Gate. Well, he was involved in that, one of the dissenting scientists that really came out against global warming. And let me tell you what, that man's been sued by many of these globalists. And I'll tell you what, he's a very courageous man and he's a brilliant man. And I just consider it to be an honor to be associated with him in any way. And he wrote the foreword to my book, Green Gospel, which I believe is a really important book. And for anyone that wants to get that, it's at greengospel.ca. I sure have not come across anything like it, but I am looking forward to tomorrow's show with the renowned Dr. Timothy Ball. And speaking of my favorite men, is my guest today, my guest today is really, well, he really needs no introduction, but for those new listeners, it is Pastor David Langford from thevoiceofevangelism.com. I had the honor of introducing him in Dallas, Texas, and hearing him that Sunday bring the word, <laughs> well, let me tell you, he is a powerhouse. You would be hard-pressed to find anyone that can hold a candle to 
this man a God. And that is not flattery. I'm saying his wisdom, his knowledge and insight on the word is unparalleled. And I'm sure you'll agree that it is an honor to have him on the program. Pastor David Langford, welcome back to the show, sir. It is a privilege. Thank you, Sheila. It's always a profuse joy to be with you and your listeners. And uh, there's no greater joy in my life than to bring the Word of the Lord to God's people and to those who may not know Christ as Lord and as Savior. It will be through the Word and through the Holy Ghost wherein He brings those who do not know Him. And those that do know Him, the Word of God is to edify, to comfort and give strength, and of course to give us guidance as we navigate these perilous days in which we're living. And uh, we must be careful as saints of God to not allow the enemy to sidetrack us in any capacity, which he's a master at that, and getting us distracted from the most important things, which is being wholly dedicated to Christ our Lord. Well, amen on that. Now, you said perilous times. You know, this week we had that 6-6-16 satanic celebrations all over. We saw this bizarre devilish ritual going on in Switzerland at that Gothard base tunnel. You know, no one really bats an eye, but true evil, Pastor Langford, is it's effectively convincing a population that what is evil is good and what's forbidden is acceptable. And True evil, I think, is is very cleverly masked. It's really slyly packaged, and it's presented behind a facade of normalcy, undetectable to the spiritually discerning. You know, the lack of spiritual discernment is shocking, but what the result of removing God from our daily lives is, all these reactor rods are going off here at once. Not just is prophecy on fire today, but Every scripture is coming to life. Hey, and folks, if you don't believe the Bible is true and you're listening to this show, then clearly you've never read it. We're kind of acquiescing to this demonic agenda crafted, of course, by the father of lies. We're accepting the unacceptable. And really the end result, Pastor Langford, is we're expunging God from every area of our lives, our schools, our workplaces, our media, our nation. And this thing has really been years, well, generations in the making. Pastor Langford, did you ever think that you would see the beat of this thing how it is now? Well, I find it interesting that you mentioned expunging God from every area of our lives. What is so ironic about that? We're doing that under the name of Christianity. If you just stop and think about what's going on, Obama says he's a Christian. Ask Hillary Clinton, is she a Christian? Ask the people on the Supreme Court justices, are you Christian? They would, for the most part, all of them would tell you, yes, we are Christians. But they're doing this under the auspices of Christianity. And you use the word evil numerous times because I don't think people fully understand evil. In the Garden of Eden, there was a tree. It was not called the tree of good and of sin, It was called the tree of good and of evil, because when we sin, we bring evil into fruition, into light. The evil, in retrospect, is what God himself has created. He said, I create both good and evil. The evil is the end results. Uh, For instance, uh, homosexuality produces AIDS. 
fornication produces chlamydia, gonorrhea, uh, all, all of these things, and these sins are what brings this to fruition. This was what brings the evil to light. So in uh, Isaiah 45, 7, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. And I think sometimes we misunderstand what sin is and what evil is. Evil is the fruit of sin. And so when God put the tree in the garden of good and of evil, if they lived right, all they would ever know is good. But once they sinned, and the act of sin was disobedience to God, then evil was manifest. And a plethora, the, 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 the evil is unrelenting. By the sweat of your brow, thorns and thistles, he would multiply the woman's uh, sorrow in childbearing. It's just a litany of evil. So God does not create sin, but Evil is the fruit of the sin after the sin, the act has been committed. And, of course, that's the suffering. Evil causes us to suffer uh, when we disobey God. So, you know, uh, we're, we're witnessing all of these things come to pass. We're witnessing it under the auspices of Christianity, you know, because they will tell you quickly, God does not judge. God is not uh, one who judges people. He loves us just like we are. But if they knew the scriptures, they would know that's exactly who God is. Uh, Genesis 18:25. Abraham said, Shall not the judge of all the earth do that which is right? Paul talked about receiving his crown of life in 2 Timothy 4.8. The righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them also that love his glorious appearing. Talking about receiving the crown of life. And then in Revelation 19:11. He comes back riding the great white stallion, and it says he doth judge and make war. So he is a God of judgment, and he does judge continually. And, of course, every one of us are going to be judged, the Christian at the Bema seat, or the wicked dead after the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ will be judged at the great white throne judgment. But God is a judge. Again, Revelation 19:11, and I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. So he, he is a God of judgment. And, uh, of course, people say, well, he doesn't judge. See, they don't know the Bible. There is such a veiled darkness that's come over people's ability to even discern what is right, what is wrong. Isaiah 5 and 20, they would call evil good. Good, evil, bitter for sweet, sweet for bitter, light for darkness, darkness for light. And we're at breakneck speed coming to it. It, it. It's unbelievable how much is taking place in such a short little time. Well, breakneck speed. Wow, that is the perfect word. Now, this verse in Psalm thirty-four, sixteen. it's interesting that it says there, the face of the Lord is against evildoers. And Proverbs 6, 6, uh, I think it's 16 to 19, when he's talking about the six things God hates, feet that run rapidly to evil. Now, you mentioned homosexuality earlier. You know, we just saw, Pastor Langford, the biggest, well, I call it the sodomy fest in Tel Aviv, in Israel there. I keep threatening I'm going to start a newspaper called the Gomorrah Gazette or maybe the Sodom Star. But sadly, Sodom and Gomorrah's got nothing on this cesspool today. And 
every week you see someone else comes out of the closet. Last week it was that married man there, that Trey Pearson. You know, here's a married man. He's got kids. And what was stunning to me, Pastor Langford, when I saw him, I happened to catch a clip on something he said on that devilish show, The View there, when he was asked by one of the gals if he still considered himself to be a Christian, he said, this is verbatim what he said, I feel like I'm more in love with Jesus and the scriptures now than I've ever been in my life and I've progressed in my faith as I've experienced the grace, the restoration and the ability to embrace truth without being scared of what people think of that. And I thought, you know, I think these guys should go back in the closet. Well, prayer closet, that is. But what's frightening to me, Pastor, is not only perversity and abomination is accepted, and it's the order of the day, by the way, but it's even being promoted in mainstream Christianity. And the very thing God says in his word is what is an abomination. Most Christians... They just shrug their shoulder. Well, you know, who are you and I to judge? You have to be more loving, Sheila. You know, I'm told that day after day, people say, Sheila, you know, we have to embrace these people because after all, you know, what does the scripture say? And they just embrace everything. Kumbaya, love your neighbor, accept anything, anything goes. God understands, live and let live. This whole love gospel, that's it's very twisted, isn't it? Well, absolutely. I cannot fellowship with wicked people. Ephesians 5.11, Paul said, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. He even forbade the church at Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, not so much even to have dinner with these people. I keep saying this with rapidity. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's the Word of God to be preached into all the world, to every creature, that they might come to the knowledge of Christ. But the epistles... The epistles which are written to the churches are the rules. They are the uh, rules for the ball game. When you're out of bounds, when you uh, clip somebody in football or grab their face mask or whatever the case might be in whatever sport that it might be, there are rules and guidelines so that the game, the race, the uh, interaction is equal, that there's no cheating. Well, the epistles are the doctrinal rules and how we ought to live. But regretfully today, we don't look at that. First Corinthians 5.11, But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one, know not to even eat. So Paul goes through a litany of sins. And he tells us, you know, you don't even keep company with these people. When little Joy Osteen attended the Houston mayor's lesbian wedding, he violated that passage of Scripture. He was endorsing her and telling her, what you're doing is all right, I'm all right with it. That may not be God's best, but see, God forbade us in the Scriptures to even have dinner with these people. He tells us in verse 6, your glorying is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? In other words, you take and allow just a little bit of sin, get into the body of Christ, and before long the whole body has become sick. You know, we saw in Tel Aviv the gay pride, the parade, and the, the arrogancy 
Ezekiel 16:49. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness. The very prayed is called gay pride. Yeah. You know, Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy. Proverbs 13, 10, only by pride cometh contention. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before a haughty spirit and before a mighty fall. All, all of this is enhanced just by the very spirit of pride, and they name their parade gay pride. They make no bones about it, and they're not getting by. We saw today there was an attack in Tel Aviv. At least four were killed. You know, God does not cover sin and protect sin. Once you begin to live a life of sin, God removes his covering. Psalms 127.1, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. So we're watching like 9-11. God didn't keep the city. God's not going to keep a lot of cities. Look at the turmoil just in Chicago alone. He doesn't keep the city because the city does not keep him. And uh, we're going to continue to witness a proliferation of all of these things. And we're witnessing Romans 1, 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. And we're living in that aspect of life when people do not want to retain God in their knowledge. Because if God is in your conscience, if God is in your knowledge, there is an element of restraint, an element of conviction. Uh, Psalms 10 verse 4, the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. So the wicked through the pride of his countenance, there against the word pride, said God is not in all of his thoughts. So once you lose your God consciousness, you never think about, well, what's the repercussions if I do this? What will be my punishment if I do this? You know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Uh, my wife and I have had four children, and there has to be a, a reverential and godly fear toward the parent because the parent should mete out discipline as needed. Well, we have forgotten the reverential fear of God. And, uh, you know, God says, okay, I can punish you very simply. I just withdraw my spirit. I just turn off the water, and you have famine. You have drought. You have pestilence. You have disease. Isaiah 63, 10 says, but they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Therefore was he turned to be their enemy, and he fought against them. You know, all God's got to do is just turn off the water spigot and fight us. And, and you can't win. You, you can't beat God. And so my concern is the road this nation is taking just seems to be more and more and more towards everything that's an abomination. Everything. And so in the end, we'll have the ultimate abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, Jesus said in Matthew twenty four fifteen. So we're, we're headed down this road of the pinnacle, the zenith of abomination and, and, and abominable things. And uh, the church of the living God should be getting so much closer, so much more intimate with Christ, and laying aside every weight and the sin, as Paul said. Not everything's a sin. But we need also, Paul said, lay aside the weights. These things will beset us. 
uh, Hebrews 12 and 1, Wherefore, seeing we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. So we have to also not only lay aside the sins, but the weights, because weights hinder you. If you carried a 50-pound weight in your hand or in your pocketbook every day, it wouldn't be long. You're like, my God, I'm, I'm struggling. Well, get rid of the weight. Yeah. The weights are what brings struggles in our personal lives. As I said, it may not necessarily be a sin, but it's a weight, Paul said, and they must be removed. They must be taken out of our lives. Well, they have to be taken out of our lives, but yet that's what's the shocking part is. It's fine to be gay and Christian. It's fine to be transgendered and Christian. Hey, anybody can go into a women's bathroom if you just want to feel that day you're identifying as a woman. Now there's a woman in Chicago. Funny you should bring that up. The city of Chicago who identifies as an animal. I mean, are you surprised how more sick and twisted it's getting? And it's not just the acceptance of it all, Pastor, but it's the twistedness of it, isn't it? Yeah, I was, uh, I've was. i been doing a series on they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, and that's why it's so fresh on my mind. And as I was teaching the other day, in Romans 1 and 29, I got such a profuse revelation. I was anointed while I was teaching because I had never seen this before. But Romans 1 and 29, Paul said, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. Now, here's what struck me, the next phrase, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. What I saw there was, he said, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. Then he says, full of. And I thought, wow. David said, my cup runneth over. People are being filled with something, and whatever that something is, they will ultimately be full of it. You heard the cliche, well, they're just full of the devil. That is so apropos in that verse, because I've said many times, you could put a a coffee cup in the kitchen sink, turn the, the faucet on, and let the water run in it. And the water's just going to keep running in it, and it's going to run out. Well, try to pour tea in there. Try to pour milk in there. Try to pour soft drink into the cup. You can't get anything in the cup. Why? Because the water that's continuing to pour in it keeps pushing the other stuff out. Because it is now full of water, and there's no room for nothing else. People who, who uh, drink coffee, they want cream and sugar. Well, they don't fill the coffee cup up to the brim. Because if they did, there's no room to put cream and sugar in. They have to leave a little room. Well, that's why it's important for the child of God to be full, see, to be full of the Spirit so that there's no room for anything else to get inside. So when I saw that, it just spoke to my heart. We're all being filled with something, and you will become full of that. You're either going to be filled with the Spirit, filled with the love of God, filled with the Word of God, and you become full of that. And then there's no room for these other things to have a place of residence. And I thought, wow, God, Paul's talking about being filled. And then he also says, now they're full. And then he went into that litany of what they were full of. I thought, how profound is that? 
Every man, woman, boy, and girl is being filled with something. And, of course, as I said, the old cliche, that person's just full of the devil. That's because they have been feasting and dining at Satan's table, and they've eaten and they've ingested all of his filth, his rot, his damnation. And, of course, that's why they act like the devil. They serve the devil. And as Jesus said to the Pharisees in John eight forty four, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. Matthew six twenty four. No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And this is what you're speaking of. You know, I'm learning more about God. I'm a Christian, but yet they're sodomites, transgender. I said the other day, I said, we had four children, my wife and I. And every time the child was born, the child was not out, out of my wife's womb, you know, four, five, six, or seven seconds. And here's always the first words of the pediatrician. Well, you got a little girl. You got a little boy. They never once said, uh... You know, you might have a transgender. I don't know what you got. Well, all you got to do, folks, is just look below your navel, and that'll tell you what you are. Yeah. And uh, this is this is the cynicism of humanity. What this is, this is nothing more than demon possession. There's no such thing as transgenderism. It's just demon possession. I could not agree more. You know, you said something very profound there. We are supposed to be full of the Spirit and full of the Word, but it's not bad enough that no one actually reads the Word and the pulpits aren't preaching the Word, but now it's out with the Word. Several weeks back, I don't know if you saw this, but we saw the very Holy Bible being put on a list of challenge books, and now it's at uh, many public libraries, and it seems like if you do have your Bible, God forbid you read it in a school because you're going to offend somebody Well, and I guess this is why Jesus was called the rock of offense, but it just seems that every day we're witnessing the final destruction of our Christian heritage and the final assault on our Christian faith. All of us who really believe the Bible being the inherent, immutable, infallible, eternal word of God, we're the ones being mocked and ridiculed and, you know, national security threats, racists, bigots. And the Christians who are publicly depicted as normal, those are the ones embracing the perverse doctrine of diversity and tolerance. You know, you can pray to Allah and Buddha, the great goddess Gaia, but don't mention Jesus, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, Christians need to remember Christ's words in John 15 and 20. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. See, this is how we know they're not Christian. They do not keep the sayings, the word of God. The word disciple comes from the root word discipline. Any disciple is disciplined to the tenets, the dogmas, the doctrines of whoever they are following. So when people say to you, to me, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm a transgender. I'm a Christian. I'm a sodomite. That's deception. That's duplicitous. They are totally deceived. They are totally reprobate. By the way, you don't have to be a sodomite to be a reprobate. 1 Corinthians 9.27, Paul said, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. 
And I didn't know this until just a few weeks ago when I was doing some more Bible study. The word castaway and the word reprobate are the exact same Greek words. Adokimos is how you pronounce it. So he said, I keep my body in subjection, lest once I have preached to others, I myself become a reprobate. Now, boy, that blows a hole in once saved, always saved, because Paul was saved. But he also said, I realize I can also become a reprobate, too, or an apostate. See, you can't become a reprobate or an apostate without first having a knowledge of God. That's why Paul said they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. You have to have a God consciousness, and every man has that initially. You know, it's just the more that you sin, that you sear that conscience, then you once ultimately lose that consciousness. And like the gentleman you were speaking of, you know, he's more comfortable now with his sexuality, understanding the grace of God, etc., etc. No, he's become more deceived. His heart has become more calloused, and his mind has become less God-conscious because God's presence and a God-awareness and consciousness tells me immediately when I do something wrong. Nobody has to correct me when I've misrepresented the truth. Nobody has to correct me when I take $10 out of your wallet. Nobody has to correct me in any of these areas. You know why? I have a conscience. You know, I know I'm a married man. It's a, it's a sin for me to commit adultery. I don't even have to be told that. I have a conscience. I know that's wrong. And once you lose that, that's when you become a reprobate. And God said, because they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, he gave them over to a reprobate mind. And, and that's the fear that people should have, that I can wake up one day and, and God has left me. You know, he left Samson. The Bible says in, the, in Judges 18 that Samson knew not that God had left him. He, he didn't even know that God was gone. The Philistines came, and he thought he was going to be as robust and anointed and powerful as he'd ever been before. But guess what? The power wasn't there because God left him because of his breaking his covenant vow with God. He broke his vow. He shared his heart with a harlot, and, of course, it cost him his eyesight. By the way, Samson's name means sunshine or sunlight, and the devil mocked him and gored out his eyes and said, you'll never see the sunlight the rest of your life, buddy. And that's just some of the repercussions of sin. But see, God was gracious. God was merciful. God restored him. But uh, he didn't want to live as a blind man, so he asked God, he said, let me die with the Philistines and be avenged for my two eyes. Because he knew once the anointing would come upon him again, he would have become impervious to those stones and boulders and columns and pillars. So he said, let me die with the Philistines. So he was, he was a type of Christ and that he did more by dying than he did by living. A lot of symbolisms there in the Old Testament types and shadows. Jesus did more by dying for our sins than living for us. But thank God he not only died for our sins, he rose again to be sure his last will and testament is carried out. Yes, well, I'd like to think it's being carried out, but that scripture that says the gospel will be preached in all the world, I'm really starting to wonder what kind of gospel is even being preached. You know, you'll find this interesting, Pastor. I went to a Christian bookstore in the Tri-Cities area, one of the biggest, and I asked the owner what was the most popular sellers. One of them was the Quran, which was, of course, stunning. 
But the other one was Jesus Calling. Uh, That's a devotional by Sarah Young. And let me tell you, that is a new age mishmash straight from the pit of hell. Of course, our pal Joel Osteen's I Am was up there at the top. And yeah, he's not talking about the I Am Moses men either. But here's the frightening part. I asked her, what do you think of Chris Lom and some of the new age stuff that's finding its way in the the church? (laughs) She stunned me with her answer. She said, well, I think we have to embrace other things because I really think there's more than one way to find God. I said, well, you do know what God says about it, right? There's only one way to him, and that's through Jesus Christ only. There's only one way, and that's through Jesus. And she was deer in headlights. I thought, what kind of cotton candy coma are these mindless minions in here? It was sad. It was sad. This whole coexist idea. You know what this is, Pastor? This is this is ecumenicism. Oh, absolutely. You know, Sheila, it's coming to fruition because when you read Revelation 18, the harlot, she's going to ride the political beast. And um, it's a sad thing, but this is what is happening. Did you see the United Methodist Church uh, two weeks ago in Portland, Oregon, the vote was 428 to 405, still trying to oppose same-sex marriage, lesbian pastors, et cetera, et cetera. So in four years, they will have another General Assembly. And there was this picture of all these dykes and all these butches. It was really nauseating to look at it. Yeah. And I thought, in four more years now, when you guys convene in 2020, where whatever state and city you convene in, that next convention, conference, they will go over the line. They were just 428 to 405. So you only need what? There was a 23 difference, 12 votes the other way. And guess what? Now the wicked have the authority and the rule. Now you've got the majority. And so it just shows you how tenuous this thing really is. And who would have ever thought that churches, denominations, institutions would even think about? talking about same-sex marriage. I mean, it's, it should, there should be no debate. It's just wrong. You know, it's like saying, is it wrong for me to walk out here and take a shotgun and just shoot a person down in the, in the streets in cold-blooded murder? Is there anything wrong with that? Well, certainly there is. There's no debate about that. That's evil. That's murder. You go to jail. But the church has taken this passive, we've got to love everybody, and we've got to accept everybody, and that's the problem. We can't do that and be right with God. Yes. That's the whole issue here. Are, are you right with God? You know, before I'm ever right with my neighbor, I must be right with God. Proverbs 22 and 28, it said, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. You know, years ago, when they would mark off territory, they would put up a huge pile of rocks. And those rocks were to establish boundary lines and points. And so what people would do would go and move them to steal land in in whatever way they desired. Well, that is what's happened in the church. We're removing the ancient landmarks. We're removing the guidelines. We're removing the boundaries. You know, we're we're moving everything one way to another, uh, and it's not the right way. Uh, Solomon said the same thing in Proverbs 23.10. Remove not the old landmarks. We just keep moving the proverbial line. 
You know, it's just like in football, you have a goal line. Well, you have to cross that line to score points and get a touchdown. Well, they keep moving the line, and the, the line cannot be moved, and you still play according to the rules. And that's why I said the epistles. And, of course, you never hear preachers anymore. I don't preach from the epistles. You know, they'll, they'll preach a little bit from the Gospels, but that's, that's about the extent of it. But the epistles are the rules and the guidelines that we are to abide by. And, of course, if you don't know the epistles, you don't know what's required of you according to God's will. Because the epistles, see, were written to the churches. The Gospels were written to everyone whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. But Paul addressed every epistle, and Peter, and James, and John, and Jude. They always addressed them to the church to the church at Ephesus, to the church at Thessalonica, to the church at Philippi, always addressing it to the church. This is what the church must do. This is how the church must live. This is how you deal with erring members. This is how you deal with sin. The book of Acts, you know, he didn't tell you to have a democratic election. He said, seek you out seven men full of the Holy Ghost to administrate the affairs of the church. He didn't say run names and do an election. Seek you out men who have the Holy Ghost to administrate the affairs of the church and leave us to the Word of God and prayer. That was what the, the early church consented to. This is the agreement. You get great Holy Ghost, Spirit-filled laymen to run the church. Leave us, Peter, James, and John, the, the apostles, the men of God, leave us to where we can pray and fast and stay in the Word of God and, and bring to you, thus saith the Lord, messages. Well, that day and era is gone. I mean, it's just, it's just gone. Preachers don't even preach anymore. I mean, you, you hardly ever find a preacher preacher. You know, they're just, you know, motivational speakers. You know, you've heard me preach. I, I, I preach. You know, I just preach and uh, raise my voice and get lathered up and sling snot and sweat and everything else. Uh, <laughs> these guys don't preach anymore. You know, Paul said, wherefore I am ordained a preacher. And all a preacher is, is a public crier. That's what John the Baptist was, a public crier. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. That's our job, is to be public criers and prepare the way of the Lord. But, you know, we, 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 we don't go there anymore uh, because we, we don't want to upset anybody or, and preach with an anointing or with an authority. You know, preaching is very authoritative. Teaching, there's an anointing for teaching. Teaching is for comprehension. Teaching is for learning. Preaching is distinctly different. It is absolutely distinctly different. See, Jesus said in Luke 4.18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel. And then in other times it says, And he taught them thus and thus and thus. So there are two different anointings. Preaching anointing is with power and conviction to overwhelm the listener. Teaching is to enlighten, to expound the knowledge of grace and of God and his word, etc. That's why Ephesians 4.11, he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. We have these offices and uh, therefore the express purpose of communicating the gospel in different ways. And the Holy Ghost is the administrator of that anointing. And, of course, if you're preaching, there's more of a fiery, authoritative word. 
Uh, teaching, as I said, is for understanding, enlightenment, that one can grow in grace and in knowledge. Uh, Jesus taught the disciples, but then there were times he preached. And uh, that part of ministry that I call old-fashioned Holy Ghost preaching, it is a thing of the past. It, it is a thing of the past, isn't it? And they just yes. keep, they keep moving the goalposts, as you said. They keep moving the lines, moving the goalposts, because it's, hey, you just do what you think is right. It's like this Pope said recently, Pastor Langford, hey, you just do what you think is right. But what does Proverbs fourteen twelve say? There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Every other day, this Pope says some blasphemous heresy. Like this Pope, well, he's a type of an Antichrist. There, there's a lot of heresies being promoted out there about the Antichrist. And I've heard it said, Pastor, that some believe it's a system and not a person. Your book lays this out incredibly, Revelation 13 Revealed. Lay that out for us, because I think there's a real key in Revelation 19, 20, and then there in 2010, because I think there is a lot of confusion on the Antichrist. Well, they say it's a system. Well, it begins in Daniel seven eleven. I beheld then, because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, talking about the Antichrist, I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flames. So, so Daniel describes him as a man having a body, and he's given into the burning flames. And you just alluded to it there in Revelation 20 and verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast, or the Antichrist, and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night. Uh, Revelation 19 and verse 20, and the beast or the Antichrist was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. So if it's a system, how then is it not burned up? You know, a system is going to be consumed. It's documents, it's bylaws, it's governmental structure, whatever you want to term it. This is a man. He's called the son of perdition, just like Judas Iscariot was called the son of perdition. The Antichrist is called the son of perdition. And, you know, that's the danger. People no longer believe, as you said, the immutable, infallible Word of God. And they, they try to dismiss that. And Jesus said in John 5 and 43, I come in my Father's name, you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you shall receive. He compared the Antichrist to himself. I've come in my Father's name. You don't receive me. There's going to be another man come in his own name. You're going to receive him. That's not a system. He, he equated this man as a personage just like himself. And for people to say, well, there's no literal Antichrist. Oh, there is. And that's why when he comes and you don't believe the truth, you're going to believe a lie and be damned. That's the danger. You know, I heard somebody the other day made the statement that they questioned the premillennial second coming of Jesus Christ. How can you do that when Jesus, in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, talks about the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ? Yeah. How do you get around that and say, I don't, you know, I know the pre-tribulation rapture has caused a lot of misconstrued ideology and theology. But how do you get away from that thousand-year millennial reign of Christ? You, you can't do it, because the Word of God says it. 
he shall reign 1,000 years, and we shall reign with him as kings and priests. See? So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't understand how you can read that, because Revelation chapter 20 is chock full of the thousand-year reign of Christ, the thousand years that Satan is cast into the bottomless pit. Those thousand years are going to expire. He's going to be loosed out of the bottomless pit. He's going to come up on the nations, or the, the, the uh, four quarters of the earth, and create another battle, uh, come up to Jerusalem, and uh, fire of God's going to come down out of heaven and consume all the rebels. And then he takes the devil then, it says, and cast him into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the Antichrist and the false prophet have already been for a thousand years, and they're going to all be tormented day and night forever and ever. So, you know, either we believe in the literality of the word, and if you say, well, I can believe this verse over here, but I can't believe this verse over here, then what you've done says we, we can't really trust any of it. Because if you can only believe portions of it, how, how can you then embrace or discount other parts. Either you believe it all or you don't. Then that's where we're coming. We're, 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 as you said, we're, we're picking and choosing. Well, it really does come down to so much confusion. And one of the things I'm seeing, particularly from my emails, there's a lot of confusion about reprobate mind and strong delusion. And of course, you know this, the great falling away. A lot of people think that's the rapture. They're going to be yeah. taken away. And I mean, that that's a whole other show. People go back to listen to our pre-trip versus post-trip rapture. But the reprobate mind and the strong delusion. Pastor, can you lay that the difference in that for us? Well, in, in Isaiah 64, he said, number one, I'm going to choose their strong delusion. Second uh, Thessalonians 2, 11, 12, for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned, who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And, of course, a reprobate mind is a man who has rejected God and his God consciousness, so he's then void of any ability to judge correctly in spiritual matters and spiritual things. That's what that man was you saw on the view. That's a reprobate. He talks about being a Christian, but yet he's a sodomite. He talks about the grace of God. I mean, you, you cannot be any more perverted and more distorted than that to think you can live like that, talk like that, and yet be right with God. The Bible is clear. The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. First Corinthians 6, 9, Paul said, Be not deceived. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And then, of course, Paul went into just a profuse litany of who he deemed and described as unrighteous. He said, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. He tells you plain. See there again? That's in the epistles. You think Joy Osteen would read that from his pulpit on Sunday morning and say, folks, if you're committing any of these sins, the Houston mayor, ma'am, you're not going to heaven. I'm not telling you that. The Bible said you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But no, they can't say that because it's too offensive. But Paul said, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, that's why they're preaching another gospel. Now, they will tell you, no, I'm preaching the Bible. No, you're not. You're picking and choosing. 
Paul said, I have declared unto you the whole counsel of God. I have I've withheld, I've shunned nothing. I have given everything that I have. I've given my whole life that you might know what's right, that you might know what's wrong. I've declared unto you everything. And, and he said, I've, I've given you the whole counsel of God. And so these men, regretfully, they're not sharing the entire counsel of God. And because of that, we're in the state we're in. I mean, you know, that's why people will tell you I'm gay, but I'm, I'm a Christian. Well, that's impossible. But this is how subtle it is. It's like saying, yeah, I'm born a man, but I think I'm a woman. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is how absurd it is to say you're this and this and this, but yet I'm a Christian. You know, I, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I'm an adulterer. Well, I'm a Christian, but I'm an adulteress. I'm a Christian, but I'm a fornicator. I'm a Christian, but I'm a drunkard. Don't you understand you can't be both? I know my Baptist brethren get upset with me, and, and they don't understand true repentance, but you're only saved once. It, once you lose your salvation, you are now a backslider. You're not, a, you're not the same as you were before you were born again. Once you're born again, you're no longer, I hear this all the time, well, we're just all sinners saved by grace. No, I'm not a sinner. I've been born again, so I'm no longer a sinner. Now, if I go back into sin and live that lifestyle, I'm a backslider. I am backslidden. I've backslidden away from God. I did have a relationship with God, but I lost it. See, they don't even understand the term backsliding. Backsliding, for the most part, is a process. You know, you get up one day and you say, well, I don't, I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read my Bible. You get busy the next day. Well, I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read my Bible. Then you start doing this. Then you start doing that. You start saying things. You start watching things. You start doing things. Well, before long, guess what? Your backslid. The fire of God went out in your bosom. You've got to keep the oil or wood. We'll use wood as a symbolic thing. We've we got to keep it burning in our heart in the Old Testament system, they had the menorah, the, gold, the seven golden candlesticks, they would snuff out five of the knobs, the bulbs, and put fresh oil and fresh wicks in those five, take the two remaining lit ones and relight the other five, then they would take the last two and, and put in fresh oil and wicks, and of course the lamp was to never go out. Well, guess what happened in 1 Samuel 3, 1? And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple. Why? Who was keeping the lamp? Hophni and Phinehas. Well, they're too busy committing adultery to take care of the menorah. And Eli had grown so old, his eyes had waxed dim, he wasn't aware that the candles were not burning. Well, it's the same situation in the church. They don't even realize the light's gone out. And when the light goes out, you're sitting in darkness, and they're sitting in darkness and not even aware of it. That's very tragic, isn't it? Well, you've, you've laid that out so prolifically, powerful stuff you've shared on the program today. Pastor Langford, in the waning moments, would you do us the honor of praying for us? Absolutely, absolutely. Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves under your most mighty and majestic hand tonight. And we ask you, Lord, to pour more of the oil and the wine of the Holy Ghost into our hearts and into our lives. I pray that your word will remain a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our paths. Father, help us to be more discerning than ever before, because the world is so cunning, crafty. It seeks to deceive us, to manipulate us, to coerce us, to go down a path of ungodliness, a path of unrighteousness. 
Thus the psalmist prayed that you would order his steps in your word, that no sin, that no iniquity could ever have dominion, neither authority nor lordship over his life. I pray for every home. I pray for every family. I pray for every marriage. I pray for the young people, O God, in the homes of the moms and dads, because they are so perplexed with their children and their waywardness. I pray that a divine covering would come upon the home and the family and the children, that you would keep them from drugs and alcohol and from being promiscuous in this end time hour, this spirit of sexual deviancy. I rebuke it in the name of Jesus Christ, but rather a spirit of purity, a spirit of pureness would begin to pervade and permeate their hearts and their minds, and they would keep themselves in the love of God. I ask you to touch Sheila. I ask you to touch her hands and her works as she labors in your vineyard, God, to do what you've called her to do. I ask you now, Lord God, to touch our bodies and our minds. Help us to have strong minds. I rebuke the spirit of dementia. Alzheimer, oh God, I rebuke all of these spirits that try to take over our minds. We want the mind of Christ that we can know what is right, that we can know what is wrong, that we can be led and be unctioned by the Holy Ghost. Now I just ask you, Lord, to take this program and use it for your honor, your praise, and your glory. Let it touch the hearts of multitudes. Let the word of God that's been brought forth tonight, let it find a lodging place, a place of residence in the hearts and lives of the listeners, Father. And we just humbly ask it all, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. Wow. Well, thank you for that very powerful prayer, Pastor Langford. And we thank you for your time. There's a lot of people out there that they have to know that there's very few men out there preaching the full counsel of God. So today, folks, if you don't have a church, because I get lots of emails and no place for your ties, well... The Voice of Evangelism is a place that you can certainly tithe into and catch Pastor Langford's show on WWCR. I have all that information linked for new listeners today. Pastor Langford, thank you for your time in coming on this show and really laying out that so prolifically today. Well, thank you so much, and thank you for having me. And I just pray every listener will become more God-conscious and become what I call a God-chaser. Start chasing after God to know more about Him, because He can be found in Deuteronomy 4.29. He said, when you seek me with all of your heart, He said, you'll find me. You know, and if we really want more of God, we can find God, and God will bless us immensely. And again, thank you for allowing me to come on and to share the Holy Writ. Thank you, sir. Folks, that was Pastor David Lankford. His information is linked today on the bio. And again, if you do not belong to a church Make Pastor Langford your pastor. I consider him to be my pastor. And let me tell you, his ministry is very worthwhile place for your tithes and offerings. He's a bold man of God that refuses to compromise. And that is sorely missing today in the sugar-covered, candy-coated, cake-baked church we have here in the West. And you can hear him every Monday and Tuesday on WWCR. That's Worldwide Christian Radio, Mondays and Tuesdays. The information is linked there on today's bio, bookmark thevoiceofevangelism.com. Folks, we have my favorite, my monthly segment, News with Views, with my regular guest, Timothy Ball. Tomorrow, I call him the Walking Dictionary. 
Again, the highly acclaimed Dr. Timothy Ball joins me to weigh in on so much. U.S. Senator Lindsey Graham, he's off at Bilderberg in Germany. That's likely a violation of the Logan Act. Of course, we see the U.S. administration just today endorsed a plan to cede its oversight of the gatekeeper of Internet addresses to the broader online community. And Matt Drudge's warning of Internet takeover in a new video. We're going to talk about all that and much more. It's going to be a fantastic show tomorrow. So don't forget to tune in. As you know, you can find me here every day at 6 p.m. Eastern right here on WINB. Thank you so much for tuning into the program. We'll see you tomorrow. Good night and God bless you.